Thanks, guys. Well, like I said, we're going to uh, spend some more time at the end of worship, a lot more time, actually, just getting started. Uh, I'm going to be in Mark just a little bit. We'll be in Mark, uh, the chapter 7, but if you've got your Bible, you can get there. If not, we'll get there in just a moment. Um, I want to start by telling you something that I experienced. Uh, I don't know how many of you knew or even uh, heard that I was on TBN, on Christian television, about, uh, well, September 3rd. And I always feel out of place. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched TBN, praise the Lord. Uh, it's definitely a little not like me. And uh, I always feel completely out of my comfort zone when I go. And yet, every time I show up, I think I've been on there three times now, uh, God shows up and just something powerful happens. And I always am reminded, uh, vividly, drastically, radically reminded that uh, there's all kinds of variety in the body of Christ, and that's a good thing. Well, I get there on Wednesday. I go on Thursday night, so I have most of the day on Thursday I have to hang out and do some things. And I usually do some writing or I take some walks. I pray. I always go to In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> but um, I, I got up that morning. In fact, I, I just woke up. But it was, I looked over the clock. It was 2.06 in the morning. Now, I always, I'm an old guy. I always get up at least once a night, and that's not unusual. I tried to get back, go sleep, roll over, close my eyes, and in that moment, and I don't want to sound too weird about this, but it was really clear to me, the Holy Spirit said, come and spend some time with me. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but in my heart, I just knew that the Holy Spirit was inviting me to come and spend some time with, with God. So I got out of bed, and uh, I'm just walking around. I didn't turn any lights on. There was plenty of light coming through the windows of the hotel I stayed in, and I just started walking. And I, I do that. That's what I do. Part of it's because I learned a long time ago, if I kneel to pray, guess what happens? You know, I'm, I'm out. So I, it's good to walk. So I've learned to walk and pray, and I, I do it in here. I've done it in here hundreds and hundreds of times. And, and I'm walking in this, you know, hotel room just doing circles and praying. And in that moment, again, the Holy Spirit just whispered to my heart. One little simple phrase. I'm going to give you a revelation of renewal. I'm going to give you a revelation of renewal. Now, I know what the words revelation, renewal mean. I'm going to unpack those for you in just a minute. But I really didn't have any idea at the time. Huh. Okay, a revelation renewal. God, what does that mean? And that was it. That's all I got from the Lord that night. I'm going to give you a revelation of renewal. What I want to share with you tonight is what I believe God began to show me during that day as I prayed uh, throughout the last few weeks even. And I give you fair warning. I'm going to be honest tonight. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to, I'm going to be as real as I, I am. That's who I am. And it may be. In fact, I'm sure it'll be pretty challenging for most of us, and that's okay. Uh, this is part of what we're here for tonight is to leave, change, and transform. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page, um, I'm going to give you some definitions. Dictionary definition of revelation is this. There's two of them. One, a surprising and previously unknown fact, especially one that is made known in a dramatic way. That's one. Uh, number two is the divine or supernatural, like this one, listen, the divine or supernatural disclosure to humans of something relating to human existence or the world, or I would add, or about God. The way I want us to land on the word revelation tonight is it's a divine disclosure, God showing us something, uh, something related to our existence as his kids uh, in his kingdom, walking with him in his church. Definition of renewal. Number one, definition is an instance of resuming activity or state after an interruption. Okay, whatever. Number two, the replacing or repair of something that is worn out, run down, or broken. The replacing of something that is worn out, run down, or broken. And again, for our purposes tonight, I want to land on that aspect of renewal. Being a replacing or repairing of faith in our relationship with God. That might be uh, worn out, run down, or broken. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would imagine some of you uh, feel worn out. Maybe worn out in your faith, run down. 
Maybe you feel broken. Maybe you don't even feel like God's around, that he listens to you, that he cares about you. And I, I, I want tonight to be a revelation of renewal for you. Now forgive me if those definitions seem a bit academic, especially for all the high school and junior high kids who've been to school all day and they're saying, please stop the English lesson. I, I know, I'm sorry. But I need you to understand, and I want us all to be on the same page and understand where I'm headed tonight. For us as individuals, for you, and for us as a church, to have a revelation of renewal, to have a revelation of renewal means we need to have a divine disclosure. God needs to open our heart, open our minds, open our eyes to something and it needs to happen here and here. It needs to happen here and here. Something deep in our soul and something in our heads where we understand our relationship with God better and our relationship with the church better. And I'll unpack that more in just a bit. Mark chapter 7. I want to read the first eight verses of this story. It's one of many where Jesus gets really in the face of some people he always had tension with, the Pharisees. Verse uh, 1 of Mark 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus. They'd gone up north to Galilee and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now you're thinking, what? What's the big deal? You know, well, uh, in the Jerusalem, and uh, the Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, it was a very big deal. Verse 3, Mark explains, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial, ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, when they come from Walmart or wherever, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions. There's a key phrase there. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pictures, uh, pitchers, and kettles. So Mark's giving us a little insight that the, the uh, religious, ultra-religious, the Pharisees of Jesus' day had these traditions, human traditions. By the way, none of this is in even the Old Testament. It's not in the Torah. These were human man-made traditions that they created that they were supposed to follow if they were, could be really pure and undefiled. Verse 5, so here's the catch. So that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the, to, to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And Jesus, here's his reply. Ready? Here it is. I love it. Ah, Jesus said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, how many of you know that that didn't make those guys really happy? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, and this is just one, again, many times. In other places, Jesus called them a brood of vipers. I mean, like a big pile of snakes. Uh, he constantly challenged them. And here again, Jesus is in their face. The Pharisees are all bent out of shape because a religious rule, a tradition, wasn't being followed by Jesus and his disciples. Religious rules mattered a lot to them, and they were really upset that Jesus and his boys weren't doing what needed to be done, according to them. Now notice here that Jesus doesn't even answer their stupid question. I love that about him, that he doesn't spend a lot of time with stupidity or, or trying to bother explaining himself or everything. He didn't say, well, you need to understand, guys. You know, and this is the why. No, he just he went right to the heart of the issue, which is what he always did. Jesus always went right to the heart. And he said, you guys have got it all wrong. You don't understand. Your hearts are far from God. They were awesome, by the way, at looking good. Important note here. Nobody looked better. Nobody did more good. Nobody followed all the religious rules better than the Pharisees. In our day and age, we would, we would look at guys like that and we would say, wow, you know, they're really spiritual. They're like, they, they could be saints. They're so together. They have it all figured out. They do all the right things. But Jesus said, though you do all the right things 
and you have all the right rules, or, th or so you think you do, you suck where it matters most. Your hearts are far from God. Now, again, over and over, this was an issue with Jesus. What he cared about most and more than anything else was this. Does Jesus care about what you do, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> you guys are like, used to questions and tests. Pop quiz, yes. The answer is yes, he cares about what we do. But does he care most about our hearts? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what matters most to him. In fact, it's possible in our relationship with God to do all the right things and to be dead wrong. Another place, Jesus called them whitewashed bones. What does that mean? They were dead men. They were dry, dead, meaningless skeletons, dead bones. Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. You worship in vain, and you put human traditions above loving God, obeying God, worshiping God. Now, we read the issues that the Pharisees brought up about washing hands, and most of us would go, what a bunch of idiots. What's wrong with these guys? But here's something I want us to consider together tonight. It's a question. And again, I told you I'm going to be challenging you a bit, and I'm, I'm going to start with this question. Is it possible that many in the church, I would include East Point, I would say the church, capital C, the church around the world, is it possible that many in the church today are guilty of the very same thing? That we put human traditions, our religious rules above obedience and love for God, obedience to him and love for him. Have we said things, and I include myself in that we, have we done things and focused too much on looking good and spiritual even, while in fact our hearts are far from God? And the inconsistency of that really bothered Jesus. He would rather have you say, I'm a mess, than, and, and because you are a mess, <laughs> than to say, I got it all together, when you don't, and you're not. Honesty, transparency, real, being real mattered a lot to Jesus. And all too often, I'm afraid in the church, we have made majors out of minors. I could tell you so many stories. I have pastor friends who have watched their churches split over a variety of issues. Uh, one I'm thinking of is a, a church that split over the issue of women in leadership. Very fundamental evangelical church where they took quite literally some of the things that Paul taught out of context. They took them by the way, and they taught that women could never be in leadership. And the church had a big brouhaha and actually split over that. Debates. Here's one, here's one of my favorites. About, I was about 24, 25, and I visited a church, and then I got to know the pastor, and we got to be friends, and his church had this huge split. Guess what was over? Are you ready for this? Whether you could use grape juice instead of wine in communion. Not kidding. I'm not making this up. Huge fight in that church over whether you could, because if it's grape juice, then it's not really communion. Guys, a little side note here. God don't care if it's Kool-Aid. What matters is this. What matters is our heart. Uh, another church that I uh, had relationship with for quite a while, uh, this is again back in my 30s, late 30s, had a big fight, huge fight. They didn't have a church split, but a huge fight over which translation of the Bible to use. And they had been taught from a previous pastor that the Revised Standard Version was the only authorized version. And when the new pastor came and started using the whatever it was at that time, the NIV or something, they just went crazy. There's all this squabble. And here's the tragedy in this, and a lot of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been frustrated with the church because of this, but for decades, actually centuries, the church has had a bad reputation in the world too often because we squabble and fight over stupid things, because we squabble and fight over things that really aren't that big a deal. 
And we're having all these infightings and divisiveness and ugliness and being mean and casting grenades at churches across town and other Christians because they're not like us. I had a conversation with the guys who walked in this morning and his mother-in-law is Seventh-day Adventist and he doesn't care, but she cares that he's not. And the tension that's there. And this is the tradition. This is unfortunately the way the church has operated way too often. Modern-day Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees were the ultra-right religious dudes that thought they had all their poop in a group. They had it all together. And they, they were, and, but today, modern-day Pharisees have hindered the work of Jesus just like they hindered, tried to hinder the work of Jesus then by making major issues out of things that are best, minor things. Now, let's bring it home. Maybe you've heard of some in our church who've complained about the way we take communion now. They don't like the tables, and that's not the way we did it when I was growing up. Or the fact that recently I've been challenging you to focus on neighboring groups rather than just life groups and to practice the second greatest commandment. And I've been landing on it hard. And believe it or not, I've got some pushback from people about that. Uh, occasionally, we have a band member. I don't think we had one tonight. I didn't pay that much attention. I was worshiping. That wears a hat. Or sometimes James wears those little, what do they call them? You know, the cool hats. And, and, and you would be surprised. You'd be shocked at how many times I get emails from people who are just, that's dishonoring to God that that, that guy with the fuzzy beard wore a hat in church. <laughs> and you know what I say? Listen, if we were Jewish, we'd all be wearing hats in church. <laughs> I've had people upset of the way we collect offering with buckets, but that's not very holy. I've had people complain because I preach too little or too much. I think the both have happened. And I've had people, and guys, uh, some of what I'm saying tonight is, I told you I was going to be vulnerable and real. Some of it's out of my, my own pain. Because I've had some people complain to me uh, about every one of these things, even lately. And many of them have left the church in a tizzy because, according to them, we're not doing it right. Now, let me just insert. I'm not talking about heresy. I absolutely believe in sound doctrine. Now, if people's, anybody starts to preach or teach or, or take a stand against the, the, the core of our faith, Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen, returning king, any of those things, I'm gonna, I'll fight nose to nose to the death over those things. But there's a whole bunch of stuff I just don't give a rat's patootie about. I just don't. But too many have made too much about human and or religious traditions that are at best debatable and often completely insignificant. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced we're gonna to get to heaven and we're gonna go, God let you in? I can't believe. And it's not just because of the person, but because of, well, you know what, and I'm, I'm just, I know, I know we're gonna to get to heaven. And, it's, and when we get there, another little pet peeve of mine, you know that there's not gonna be like, well, here's the Pentecostal section in heaven, and over here, here's all the Baptists. And over here, here's the Methodists. And boy, I don't know if they made it, but the Presbyterians, they got a little small section. They're over here. It, that's not the way it's going to be. That's not the way it is in the kingdom. But sadly, the problem with modern-day Pharisees is the same problem Jesus recognized. Sometimes the biggest complainers tend to have the hardest hearts. Sometimes the biggest complainers tend to have the hardest hearts. And I've watched... Some of the very people who have complained and sent me emails and have left our church flipping me off, spiritual flip-off, you know what that is, but have left here, um, I've watched them. I've stood in the back in the sound booth when I'm not preaching or at times before I come up here to preach, 
And I have seen some of those very same people, and this is their position during the times of worship. Or this. Hands in their pocket or arms folded. They're not singing. They're not engaged. The very people, some of the very people who have been the harshest with me, with our leadership here at this church, are the people who are the least engaged in worship. Some of them get irritated and resist when challenged to focus on others rather than just themselves. I mentioned communion earlier. It was quite a few months ago, quite a while ago now, but I had a little old lady. I, I never talked to her before this time and haven't seen her or talked to her since. I'm sure it was our last Sunday at East Point. But she grabbed me in the lobby, uh, literally in the lobby. It was after a service, and she gave me an earful. I mean, she lit me up. This little thing, you know, I mean, by 80 pounds, nothing, and probably older than Jesus. And she is just <laughs> giving me grief about the fact that, that she didn't like the way we do communion, that, you know, that you know, it should be passed, and we should take it all at the same time together, and, and on and on and on and on and on. And, she, and, then, and, and I started to say something. She says, and I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me that we do it that way because you're thinking about people who aren't Christians. What about me? Quote, unquote, what about me? And I looked at her, and as tenderly as I could, I said, lady, sweetheart, let me explain to you that that attitude is completely contrary to the attitude of Jesus. If Jesus had lived, what about me? He never would have gone to the cross. He didn't. We can't. With tears, I have wondered why so many are stuck on things, traditions, methods that truly don't matter compared to the condition of our hearts. I'm not saying they're completely of no value. I'm not saying everything they bring up is insignificant. There are times when you, I think, right, you, I, actually that's something, thank you for your input. But compared to the condition of our hearts, none of that matters, not even close. And I wonder if Jesus would call them hypocrites. People who honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. One of the things that really disturbs me right now, and one of the reasons why I'm talking about this tonight, and I'm doing it particularly because I, we've got the youth in here, is that there's so many millennials and, you know, Y and Z generation people right now that have grown up in the church. And I'm not talking about unchurched. I'm talking about generations of young people who've grown up in the church, and they're leaving by the millions worldwide leaving the church. And I have a sneaky suspicion, and I'm pretty sure that if you ask one of them, they'll give you the same answer. It's because they can no longer bear the stench of hypocrisy. There's one thing I love about this generation that is not true of my generation, is they don't pretend very well, and they don't give a rip. They're real. And I know they're, they're as bad as honest and real as you can get, and, and the stench of hypocrisy sends them into a tailspin or, or irritates them to no end. And too many, too many are leaving. I'm talking about kids that have grown up in church. Guys, I know these kids. I've loved some of these kids. I've watched some of them grow up, and they leave the church as soon as they can. And I, I fear in parts because I'm going to get joked up. Yeah. Because of us. And I own it. Because there's a stench of hypocrisy. Now, by the way, in case you're wondering, all humans are hypocrites. We all are. Not just Christians. We all say one thing and do another. We do. I get that. But when the church 
fails at being honest and real and genuine. And when we make issues out of things that just aren't issues, when you're driving home and your kids are in the car and you're bitching, pardon me, but you're complaining about something, that, wow, that worship was too loud. I don't like that song. You see what that worship girl is, whatever in church is. And they hear that, and, and, and then they watch, you know, you walk in the door the next week at church, and you, you know, somebody greets you, how you doing? Great, praise the Lord. And, and kids sniff that out, man. They st- am I wrong or am I right? They sniff it out. It's like, what? We've got to be honest, and we've got to work here. It's, it's, it, it, the problem is our heart. Jesus stood in opposition to the Pharisees. And I could look, I'm not kidding, there's passage after passage I could read to you. Those who stood against the advancement of the gospel, the good news, what Jesus taught, he, he, he was, frankly, he was harsh with them. Not in a sinful way, but in a way that made them so angry. Guess what they eventually did? You know, they killed him. And modern-day Pharisees in the church not just our church, but the church. So I'm trying to start something tonight in our understanding that I hope will spread in our church, and I'm praying it'll spread. I believe I've talked with so many pastors in the last few months, and, and a lot of us are starting to figure this out. Now the problem is us. And we can blame all sorts of things on our culture and blame all sorts of things on the, you know, the youth and blame all sorts of stuff, and, and the, the problem is us. And so you can consider this a shot across the bow tonight. This pastor's done with Pharisees. I'm done worrying about wandering worshipers who move from one church to another, creating trouble wherever they go. I'm done catering to disgruntled Christians who major on the minors and get all bent out of shape. That doesn't mean I'm not going to listen. doesn't mean I don't care. If you're thinking that, you're not listening to me. But what I'm going to listen for is heart. What I'm going to be attuned to is where's this at? And when I know this is good and this is right and this is where Jesus wants it to be, then, man, I lay it on. That's not that I can't take criticism. That's not the issue at all. But we, the church, we don't have time to be distracted from the mission Jesus gave us to reach the lost and love the found. Several months ago, I was uh, with Pastor Rick Warren in a small group of about 50 pastors, and I felt very honored to be there. In fact, I felt completely disqualified to be there, to be honest with you. And Pastor Rick sat on a stool, and again, there's 50 guys from all over the country, and I happen to be one of them, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how the heck did I get in here? You know, and, and he sat there, and he bawled. I, I love the guy because he cries. But he said, he said through tears, he said, the greatest need of the church today is renewal. The greatest need of the church today is renewal, our hearts. We need a revelation renewal, a divine encounter with God that replaces and repairs something here, something here, something the way we live, that changes our hearts, changes us to where we really are like Jesus. For that to happen, we've got to listen. Jesus said it again and again, let him who ears ears to hear, let him hear. And tonight I'm I'm begging you to listen and to respond. And I'm going to ask you another question. Is there a Pharisee lurking in your heart? And I'm not thinking of anyone. So if you're thinking, well, is he talking to me? No, I'm asking you to ask yourself the question. And in just a little bit, we're going to enter into some worship and have communion. And one of the great things about communion is it's a great opportunity to repent. To come and remember as you take that juice, which is grape juice, by the way. 
and you take that little cracker, as you, as you partake of those elements, those communion elements, as you do that, it's a great time to say, God, open me up, lay me out, I, but shred my heart. If there's any part of me that needs to change, if I've been a Pharisee, then forgive me. Some of you need to have heart surgery tonight. Some of us need to surrender our agenda, our expectations, our pet peeves, and ask the Holy Spirit to give us the heart of Jesus. Some have paid way too much attention to things, traditions, and rituals that frankly will not matter that much in eternity. Some have had a chip the size of a redwood tree on their shoulder because they bought into this consumer mentality that that's a whole other issue that I don't have time to get into. But a consumer mentality that's so prevalent in the church today. That what about me, guys? Guess where that comes from? That's the consumer. Well, I don't like this store, so I'll just go to a different store. I don't like the way I was treated at that restaurant, so I just won't go back there. I'll go to another restaurant. And we carry that same consumer mentality into the church. Rather than being part of the solution, we're part of the problem. Rather than saying, you know what, I'm committed to working this out with you because Jesus died so that we could be related forever, eternity. Eternity is at stake here. We're, 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 we're connected forever. And so I'm going to work this out because of what Jesus has done for us. But some of us feel entitled. And rather than being driven by a broken heart for the lost, again, we're driven by a what's in it for me attitude. I truly do want you to listen and to open your heart tonight to hear what God might be saying to you. I am far from the perfect pastor. I've said that so many times, it's not funny. And we are not, by any means, the perfect church. But I will not, and we cannot compromise our God-given mission to reach the tens of thousands who are far from him in this valley and beyond. And I'm, and I'm broken. I'm done seeing the generations in our wake give up on God and the church because of us. It's time for us to step up, own our crap, and to step up. I'm going to say, God, if there's a Pharisee in my heart, crush it, kill it. When we have his heart, we're going to love what he loves. Here, here's, and I'm going to wrap up with this. When you have God's heart, people say, well, how do I know if I have the heart of God? <laughs> Let me give you a few things, and this, this is worth showing up tonight. When you have his heart, you're going to love what God loves. You will. So do you love lost people? Do you love people around you? Do you care about others more than you care about yourself? When, you, when your hearts are close to God, rather than just lips that honor him, you're going to obey him. Are you obeying him? Are you doing what he asks you to do? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. I, that's not a popular concept in our culture today. Obedience is like, well, if you feel like it, if it works for you, if it doesn't, if it's not too inconvenient. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Are you obeying him? When our hearts are close to God and our spirits and our souls are being renewed by him, then there's going to be moments where you'll show up for worship and it may not be that powerful. But more often than not, you will engage because there's something profound happening here. You won't stand there with your arms folded, your hands in your pocket, and your lips closed, Wondering how long we got to get through this before the worship's done. You're going to say, you're, you're, you're going to be thinking, how can, I, how can I express my heart and my love to him? When your heart's close to God, 
You're going to want to spend time with him. I'm going to talk about prayer, not this Sunday, but a week from this Sunday. And I'm going to take a little different angle on it. Surprise. But one of the things that I am convinced of is the reason why most of us don't pray is because we have a heart issue. And when we, if, how, how many of you love being with your best friend? Come on. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can't wait to hang out, to be together. Do you understand? That's the love God wants us to have for him. That's the heart he wants us to have. Where I'm not twisting people's arm and giving them, well, you better get up at 5 a.m. every morning and pray for two hours if you're going to be a Jesus follower. Uh-uh. No, it's all day long. All day long. You're engaging in, oh, God, right now I just about swore at that lady because she'd cut me off. Forgive me, Lord. Oh, Lord, I don't know what to say to this guy. He's hurting. He's, he's just, I can tell he's going through hardship in his marriage. What do you want me to do? When we walk in this relationship of communication, when our hearts are close to God, we'll serve, we'll give, and we'll do so sacrificially because that's what Jesus did. We'll bleed to reach a lost world. And our traditions and our religious pet peeves and our agenda, and frankly, even our disappointments with pastors in the church, will pale by comparison to our love for him and others. And here's the cool part. When that happens, that's when revival happens. That's when revival, that's when movements of God take place in powerful ways in churches and in entire countries. Historically, one last thing, and we're going to do something that demonstrates what I've been talking about. Historically, every great revival in the church, and there's a lot of differences between them, different parts of the world, different things that started it, but every, listen, every great, revival means this outpouring of God. Revival is where God, there's this movement of God. It's like, boom, there's this it's like, you think about the 12th man and the football, you know, the, the Seahawks in the stadium and the energy. A movement of God, that's, that's where there's revival that happens in a church or in a movement or it can happen in people groups or in nations. And every time that's happened in the church's history, every time it has been when people have repented and when they've prayed. It's when they've repented and said, God, change me. I don't, he's got issues, I think. Change me. Work in me. Change my heart. It's where the church, where individuals repent and pray, seek the face of God, seek his heart, that's where revivals happen. And see, in my lifetime, the reason why I'm passionate about this and I get pretty choked up about it is because I've had the pleasure of being a part of several great movements of God. When I was 20 years old, Faith Center, Eugene, Oregon. And Eugene, Oregon, U of O, go Ducks. You know, thousands, thousands of young college kids showing up at this church and coming to know Jesus because God was doing something. There was a movement. Years later, Church on the Way, a place in Van Nuys, California. We would show up. Lauren and I were talking about this week. Guys, I am not making this up. We would show up 45 minutes before the service started. And we always had our place to park, just like you always have your place to park or your place to sit. Sorry, you guys. But we, we would always find, get to our parking lot, and we would drive by the front doors of this, the, the original old you know, Church on the Way building, and they had these about 20 steps that were pretty steep, probably not even up to code anymore, that went up to the front door. Hundreds, hundreds of people lined up, 45 minutes early to get into that place. That's a movement. We are part of the vineyard, like the Gumps, for nine years in the early days of the vineyard. They had Sunday night church. That's just stupid. Who does that? And people would show up an hour 
ahead of time. An hour ahead of time. And the minute they opened the doors, people ran to get to the front seats of that auditorium. That's a movement. And here's the thing I know. You cannot manufacture that. You can't make it happen. If I could, I would. But here's what I do know. When God sovereignly begins to work in a place, it's always, always, listen, always, because people were done. Done with themselves. Done with their flesh. Done with their pharisaical ways. And they cried out, oh, God, forgive me. And they grinned their heart and their souls. They opened it before God and they prayed, God, come. Holy Spirit, come. When we do communion tonight, and what we're going to do in just a moment, band's going to come up. We're going to do four or five songs, guys. We've got plenty of time. It's, it's only 7, 20 years. Kids aren't even out of water for 40 minutes. We're going to take some time to worship. And what we do now is that there are stations, two in the back and two on the side and two up front for you to go. Go when you want. Now, here's what you don't have to do. You don't have to rush. Come on. I don't care if there's a line up at a table. Just come. Take communion. Take a moment. If you want to take it back to your chair and pray and think and reflect on it, that's fine. You've got plenty of time to do that. But what I'm asking you to do, and by the way, before I forget, because some of you have gluten-free allergies, in the very back of the information table, there is gluten-free, and it's still holy. <laughs> but during this time, what I'm asking you to do, I'm, I'm begging you, open your heart. Open your heart. Say, like, God, what in me? Is there a Pharisee lurking in me? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there something hard in me that needs to be softened? And you begin the process of repentance. And here's what happens. When individuals experience individual renewal, then marriages begin to experience renewal. Families begin to experience renewal. Churches begin to experience renewal. And out of that, revival comes. And God does amazing things. I'm going to ask Joe and Betsy to come up right now. They didn't know I was going to do this. But I want to give you, um, and I'm going to lose it. Some of you don't even know who these guys are. Some of you do. Joe and Betsy were on staff here for a long time, 10 years. Joe started this church with me and Brian. Was our worship leader for a long, long time. And then we had a Paul and Barnabas moment. We parted ways and it wasn't very pretty. Now, if you don't know about that, it sucks to be you. But the truth is, it wasn't really pretty. And uh, I have confessed this to them and repented. I've confessed it to our leadership and to our board and to my pastor and the other churches in our circle that um, I'm a part of out of Life Center. Confessed to them that I said some things about Joe and Betsy and about their church early on that was sinful. And uh, it was not holy. Now, they know I have repented, and I've done that with them. And we're good. We're golden. But I wanted to do that tonight publicly. I wanted you to know that this is one of the things in my heart, in my life, that God's been dealing with that I need to be careful. Repent. Your pastor is a good repenter. And I want you with me to know that these guys are very special still. And the Lord has healed our hearts and healed our relationship. And you're still a part of us. That's right. Always have been, always will be. Amen. 
So I want to pray for him. We didn't get to send him. I'm, I'm sending him three years later. <laughs> Works. Amen. I want to pray for him right now. Yeah. Jesus, thank you <laughs> for loving us so much, for being so patient with us. You're so kind and merciful and good. And you look at us, Lord, and you see how silly, how arrogant, how proud, how foolish we are at times. And you uh, are gracious nonetheless. But Holy Spirit, I'm grateful that you keep prodding us, you keep working on us, that you keep prying open our hearts, that you keep drawing us to repentance, and that that's a holy, holy and good thing. And so, Lord, I publicly tonight in front of our church do what I've done months ago, but I do it before you and before our church, Lord. I repent of my heart and my attitude and of my failure. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for Joe and Betsy. I thank you for their friendship. I thank you for their church, for Uplift. I thank you, God, for what you have done and what you're going to do. I thank you, Lord, that we are forever connected forever connected because of you. And that's the kingdom, Lord. It's the kingdom. And that's what I rejoice in. And so I pray your blessing on Joe and Betsy. I pray, Lord, that even this Sunday they would experience more of you, and your presence, your power, your provision, your anointing than they ever have before. And that what they have, uh, Lord, started would, would continue and abound, abound. And that the impact they would have on that community in Liberty Lake and in this valley would exceed even their expectations. So I bless them. I bless them because I know you already have. And so it's easy for me to put my hand to what you put your hand to. And I do it, Lord, with joy. Amen. All right, let's stand together. We've got plenty of time. This could be the most important thing that happens tonight for you. I had the privilege of, I hope, speaking some truth and love to your hearts. But even Jesus said some seed falls on hard ground. And the enemy comes and swoops it up and it doesn't get planted. I'm praying right now. I'm asking you to let the Holy Spirit cultivate your soil, the soil of your heart so that you'll receive his seed and then as we worship again, just when you're ready, come, take communion uh, and then at the end when we get done I'll come back and wrap it up, but let's worship together and take communion well I could do that all night <laughs> would you, uh, just before we wrap up would you just put your heart, your hand over your heart and close your eyes just for a minute can you feel it beating there I hope so. That means you're alive. But I pray, here's my prayer for you, that every heartbeat for the rest of your life will remind you that he does love you, that he has chosen you, and that he wants your heart to stay tender in his hands. It's so easy in this world to become cynical and critical and harsh and mean, to focus on all the things that really in the eternal realm still matter. What matters is your heart. It matters. So, Father, I pray that you would take our hearts, 
of those that are here tonight and those that aren't in this place that call us home, East Point, and at Uplift, and at all your church, Lord, in the valley, the state, this county, beyond, throughout the world, Lord, that you would do a mighty, a mighty movement of God again. And I know it starts right here. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with us. Take our hearts, Lord. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. You have no idea how much I love you. I appreciate you coming tonight and being a part of it. Epic, thanks for giving up your, your amazing youth pastor and team to be with us tonight. Thanks for being here. I love you guys. Let's give up. All right. Awana's done in seven minutes. Don't forget your kids. Love on somebody. Give them a big old hug before you go. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.